How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome back into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, I guess first things first. Typically, we give our alcohol to review, but uh, I just want to make mention of the throw it back baseball stat of the week. That would be a game that started forever ago. The Giants and Angels started a game earlier today, the day of recording, and uh, they're still going. It looks like it's about to be wrapped up. The Giants just scored like seven runs in extra innings, but my goodness, they were uh, definitely imploring the MLB to say, no, you know what? Let's move the runner to third to start the inning. <laughs> so I was going to pick a throwback stat from that game because it just has been going on forever, but looks like it's actually kind of wrapping up now. So uh, what is your drink of choice for today's episode? You know what? Uh, first of all, that game, uh, I was really excited about it with Shohei versus Gosman yeah. as well. And I, I think it, it lived up to expectation early on, but man, it dragged on big time as well. So yeah, at the time of recording, 9-2 in favor of the Giants. What a what a nice stretch for them there in the 13th inning. But for me, you know, Derek, we've done this show uh, 24 times now, right? And not once have we actually done a drink where it's been a wine of any sort, right? Yes. So... Uh, it's time that we break that trend. 24 drinks uh, for each one of us. And for me, I'm going to go with the Tempranillo. I've actually never had this before. It's from Opolo uh, in Paso Robles. My parents love Paso Robles wineries, uh, and Opolo in particular is a great one. So I'm going to go with the the Tempranillo. It's a red. Uh, like I said, I've never tried this before. So we're going to be classy today. You can hear the little cheers. Here's the, uh, the pour as well. I'm going to give a pretty hefty uh, hefty pour as well. And uh, let's give it a sip real quick. We got to also, for those of you that drink wine or maybe don't drink wine, you don't take a sip as soon as it's poured. You got to let it breathe. Okay, that's an important thing. Let those flavors kind of go around in, in a circle here. So we're letting it breathe. And now we're going to give it a sip. Oh, wow. It's super dry. Um, I would consider this to be peppery. Uh, so it kind of has a bit of an aftertaste that, it's kind of a hit to it as well, um, but very, very smooth as well. I, I really like this a lot. I'm going to have to give a player comp at some point. Uh, I'll take a couple sips before I can get to that. What are you drinking? 
Um, first of all, I just want to give you a, a shout out for drinking red wine. I am a red wine drinker. I'm not a big white wine drinker, so I appreciate you drinking the red wine. I'm right there with you, right there with you. Something else we have not done on this show. So I'm glad because we actually, we go into these episodes just to kind of show you how the sausage is made. We don't tell each other what we're going to be drinking. We just want to be surprised by it. We have never done a shot in a beer on the show before. Oh. So... Today, I have a nice light beer for the summer. We're drinking a Corona Light. Or actually, Love it's a that. Corona Extra. So I'll pop that. Is that, is that going to have some lime with it, too? No, I wish I had limes. Normally. Normally, it would. But uh, we just got back from San Diego. We were all at a wedding together. And uh, do not have any limes in the fridge at this point. <laughs> and then I will take my shot. I have a little bit left in this uh, bottle of Jack Daniels. So I'll just pull straight from the bottle. You're not kidding when you say that was a wow. I mean, you down that. For those of you that are listening, Derek just full on uh, finished the rest of that. I mean, that one huge gulp right there. That's pretty impressive. That looked like that hurt as well. No, it wasn't too bad. And uh, now I get to drink my nice, refreshing beer. Uh, you know, sometimes that's fun. You go to uh, a bar or something or a restaurant and they have like a, a shot and a beer uh, deal where it's like, hey, here's five bucks for a shot and a beer. And, that was impressive, though. You just kind of did that without any pain or frustration, nothing in your eyes that showed any weakness. I, I, I'm very impressed with you right there. Okay, I kind of figured out the, uh, the comp that I would have to this wine because it's a fine wine. Um, it is also, as I mentioned, peppery, so it's got a bit of a flair to it as well, uh, but you can tell it's dry aged. So out of all the players out there right now, I'm going to have to give this to a Brandon Crawford because mm. Brandon Crawford's like a fine wine who has somehow aged to be a really great player uh, all of a sudden, and um, it's kind of towards the end of his career that he's showing out to be uh, what, what should be an all-star season for him this year. Uh, I'm going to give Brandon Crawford the equivalent of this wine. Also, this is in Paso, as I mentioned. So somewhat close, if you will, to the San Francisco, the Bay Area. So Brandon Crawford probably will be sipping on a Tempranillo as we speak. Yeah, Brandon Crawford at his 49th RBI today. That one did go final since uh, we started. So live reaction there. And if he gets to 100 RBIs, I believe I saw this stat. I don't know if it's 100% true, but I could have sworn he would be the first player uh, well, if any Giants player got to 100 RBI, they'd be the first 100 RBI Giants and Barry Bonds, which that's Holy a cow. out of its own. Uh, by the way, if I'm making a comparison, I feel like a shot in a beer is like the comp to you let off an inning with a home run. That's the shot. And then you kind of muscled your way. You got a couple singles, maybe a double into scoring that second or third run of the inning, which would be the beer, the longer way of doing it. Our throwback baseball stat of the week this week on June 24th of 1972, Detroit Tigers starting pitcher Joe Coleman pitched 11 innings of work in an extra inning performance. He gave up just four hits in the ball game in the 11 innings, gave up one run, had 11 strikeouts. They won two to one in the 12th inning, so he got the victory there, and they still got a save on top of it. Um, this is what's most amazing of that game, though. 12 innings, it lasted three hours and three minutes. So very different than the Giants game that uh, started – I don't know what, like five-ish hours ago or something like that. Um, and Coleman had a great year that year. He went on to be an all-star. Lots of decisions when you're pitching that deep into game, 19 and 14. 280 ERA, though. Um, and he finished a 15-year career with a 370 ERA. So he's a good player. And that same Tigers team went 86 and 70, lost in a decisive game five to Oakland in the ALCS.
One of my favorite things about these throwback stats is the fact that it just always seems like not only are they just out of this world, something you'll never see during this period of time, but it just goes to show how tough these guys were back in the day. Uh, Joe Coleman going 11 innings of work. I mean, that is, that is a gauntlet to have to get through as well. And the fact that he gave up only four hits in the process is absolutely ridiculous. His K per nine being nine, that's pretty impressive. Uh, he actually had a higher strikeout total than his K per nine. So that's very very interesting. Um, but yeah, looking at that, I mean, are we ever going to even see a pitcher? I feel like go a complete game at this point. It's just unreal to me that a guy could have gone 11 innings. And as you mentioned, three hours, three minutes, I feel like a normal game where it's a five to four ball game and nine innings takes four hours now, even with the speed in play. So uh, definitely kind of wild to look back on that. And 1972 is not that long ago. Keep that in mind. That is not like a huge, huge step back in the game. So Kind of amazing that even that, you know, a step, a, a hop and a skip away from where we're at right now. And they were so much tougher and probably battled through a lot more injuries than what they're doing today. Well, speaking of uh, pitchers, how about the MLB starting to check different pitchers for foreign substances on their body? And again, I, I, I kind of want to echo something, just the fact that I feel so bad for the umpires because they have just been thrown under the bus by the MLB. They already have to deal with so much and they already take so much crap, um, which some of it's deserved looking at you, Angel Hernandez. Uh, but um, <laughs> How is he employed? I don't understand. <laughs> and now you just get to a point where it's just like, oh, now we have another reason to be mad at you, uh, to yell at you and stuff. And it's just like, they're just, they're just doing their job there. Um, but I will say, it seems like a lot of them have gone a little – more seamlessly than I thought, but certainly some of the reactions have been pretty funny to watch. Um, the biggest one that caught headlines so far was the Max Scherzer one. And more specifically, not even because the umpires were checking him though. He didn't look too happy when that was happening to begin with Joe Girardi uh, thought that he had been going to his hair a lot, which he hadn't seen in previous starts for him. So he thought it was a little fishy, thought that maybe he had something in his hair. So he asked the umpires to go check him out again. And this was uh, Max Scherzer's response. Yeah, I mean, the two checks were, I guess, normal. You know, umpires, you know, this is new for everybody, but, uh, you know, like, hey, they're checking your hat, they're checking your glove. I mean, you're ready for them to check your hands, you know. I wasn't, you know, just using rosin tonight, so wasn't doing anything. That's all fine. And obviously, Girardi, um, you know, to me, it's, you know, kind of confusing. Um, if you watch the bomb at bat, um, I mean, I just, I almost put a 95 mile an hour fastball on his head because the ball slipped out of my hand. Um, the only part, I couldn't even get sweat from the back of my head because it wasn't a really a warm night. Um, so for me, I, the only part that was sweaty on me was actually my hair. Um, so I had to take off my hat to be able to try to get any type of, uh, you know, try to get some type of moisture on my hand uh, to try to, you know, mix with the, mix with the rosin. And so, um, you know, for me, that's, that's the confusing part is I'm just trying to get a grip of the ball and you can even watch in that previous at bat, the ball slipped out of my hand, almost drilled something in the face. I guess what were kind of your whole thoughts on the ordeal between Girardi and Scherzer? Yeah, you know, I, I think first of all, I don't necessarily fault Girardi on the fact that he's trying to get his player's best interest. And, you know, if he does really believe that a pitcher is out there using a sticky substance, then, I mean, you have the right to go out there and say, hey, you've got to check this guy. But the fact that he had been checked multiple times in the game uh, and Scherzer just clearly showed his displeasure, I, I don't fault Scherzer in this either. I, I feel like 
to be honest with you, it's not even Girardi or Scherzer's fault. And as you mentioned, it's definitely not the umpire's fault. This is a Rob Manfred issue because this mm. should have been tackled a very long time ago. And so now all of a sudden you're creating a feud between two sides on something that's not even really truly baseball related. And to me, that's really bad for the game. If you go back to the days of George Brett, uh, you think about the pine tar, too much pine tar on his bat, and they ultimately uh, called him out on a home run that he hit. I have a huge fear right now that this is going to take place with pitchers in the playoffs. Imagine if uh, Jacob deGrom or, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Bauer or even uh, Chris Paddock, let's say. Chris Paddock is spinning a, a gem in the playoffs um, in a game four. Nobody expected that. And you find out that he's, you know, just pitching incredibly well. And then Dave Roberts comes out and says, hey, I want Paddock to be checked. That, that takes away the groove of the pitcher. There, there's something – called consistency right and you want to build consistency over your starts well to be able to tell a pitcher step off the mound we need to check you thoroughly that ruins every groove that they have and, and I think that that's part of the problem that Scherzer dealt with there uh, and, and so I have a problem with that that Rob Manfred has created a culture all of a sudden that we can't trust anybody and that we at any point in the game can break the action and break a consistency of a, of a gem that a pitcher's throwing. Scherzer, I believe, only gave up one run in that game, uh, and he was pitching dominant. That's after his comeback from the IL. So to have him step out there and assume that he was using a sticky substance, it's a little fishy, but I have more of an issue because of the fact that Rob Manfred has created these opportunities now for managers to basically step out there and feel whenever they feel the need to, to maybe use this in their advantage and break the pitcher's, you know, quality stretch. I mean, imagine, you know, icing the kicker in football. That's kind of how it feels right now uh, with what Girardi did. So maybe I have a problem with Girardi in the way that, you know, he used that, I believe, in the middle of an inning. Uh, I, I have a bit of an issue because that obviously breaks the flow uh, of a starting pitcher. Yeah, I don't love it, but also, like, I get it from a competitive standpoint. I don't really have a problem with what Joe Girardi did. If he thought he was cheating, like, that's fine. My issue lies within the idea that what's stopping any MLB manager from just checking, double-checking every pitcher every inning and breaking up the flow of the game every single time and slowing down the game even more, especially when you get to the postseason and it's like, we're just trying to win this game. Let's have every pitcher double checked. That's kind of the slippery slope that I don't want to get to. So I don't know. We need some way of like preventing that. Like if you, if the manager says, Oh, I think he has substances on him and he doesn't to like, you lose your challenge, your replay challenge, or um, I, I like quoted that. this idea on my radio show earlier today, only half kidding, but like, I would actually love to see it. If you challenge that the pitcher has substances on them and the umpire finds there are no substances, then the manager has to take place of the batter and finish out his at bat. <laughs> oh, now that get people to watch baseball and that's something we've had an issue with but i man i i love that idea you know it'll never happen but man derek if i could have you commission over rob manfred i would do that in a heartbeat <laughs> i love that idea just because the viewer aspect would be absolutely amazing yeah but i mean as far as what scherzer said like i don't know what to think of that either the idea that like the pitch that almost hit alec bohm in the head um he said it was because well he doesn't have his normal substances and couldn't get a great grip on the baseball and I guess, I don't know, because when the MLB sent out their memo, they had pointed out that more batters had been hit by pitches than in other years past. So 
are we to believe that even if you have the great substances, you still can't hit a guy? So I don't know what totally to believe there, but certainly it is kind of messed up that going back to what you're saying with Rob Manfred, that he didn't at least even sit down with the MLBPA. They didn't sit down and talk to all these players. That is your job as the commissioner. And once again, another big flop for Rob Manfred. I said uh, on a show a week or two ago that I want to do a ranking of like the five managers. I could most and least take in a fight. I also want to do a ranking of like the 10 worst things that Rob Manfred has done. And there will be a lot of competition for that list. (laughs) Yes, there would. He has made a lot of mistakes in this league. He's ultimately, I think, ruined a huge fan base uh, in Major League Baseball for what he's been changing. And and to kind of close this point on these substances in particular uh, from what we've seen. I mean, uh, Derek, it's not Max Scherzer that was the only one that had to deal with this as well. I mean, Jacob deGrom also had to face that. And uh, Sergio Romo might have even put an even bigger show out on that. (laughs) Yeah, the Romo one was funny. He went just straight to stripping, basically. Just tossed the glove, tossed the hat, immediately took off the belt, threw it to the ground, and started, like, pulling down his pants. Um, Obviously, the Scherzer one being super mad and defiant. The Jacob deGrom one was just kind of, you know, opposite to that. He just looked like he didn't care. And then honestly, I want to replace that one uh, for my three favorite with, I saw one today with Shohei Otani um, where he was just like laughing. So I want you to sip, chug and throw away just to define this little game. A chug means this is the one you like the most. Uh, you want to drink the whole thing. A sip is just like, you know, it's it's fine. I'll have a little bit of it. And a throwaway is the one you want nothing to do with. So between Shohei Otani's handling of it, Max Scherzer's handling of it, and Sergio Romo's handling of it, how would you rank those? Yeah, I, I think first I'll, I'll just tell you the sip one for me. I mean, I love Jacob DeGrom. I think he's just such a great pitcher. And the fact that he just simply didn't care, like I could watch that any day. I'll, I'll easily sip to watching Jacob, Jacob DeGrom be on an elite level and uh, really not let the outside noise impact him. Uh, I'm chugging the fact that Max Scherzer and Girardi had that fight because it didn't just last for the fact that he got checked. But even after he got the final out, he also stared down Girardi and then Girardi ended up getting thrown out of the game. So talk about Scherzer getting the big win right there. I loved it. I'm a big Max Scherzer fan, so to see him doing that, that was great. Sergio Romo, maybe a little too much, (laughs) I guess, root for comfort there for me. I will probably throw that away because I had to turn my eyes away the moment that he started undressing in the middle of the field. It was a very quick reaction for them. It's almost like he was ready to do that. Uh, So, Sergio, it was funny, but, man, I I don't need to see that much, my friend. I would sip the Sergio one just because I thought it was really funny on first watch, but like, I don't need to be married to it. I don't need every player doing that. So I don't want to chug that. I will chug the Shohei Otani one. Just everything Shohei Otani does is awesome. And he's just so happy. Go lucky. Like it, it, that was just such a reminder of, uh, it was like a week ago against Mark Canna and he almost hit him and Mark Canna was really unhappy. And immediately like Shohei Otani just diffused the situation by instead of being like tough guy, he was just like, like, I'm so sorry. Like, like he just seems like the nicest guy in the world. He right? really and, does. He yeah. really seems super nice. It is, he's likable. He's a likable player. Yeah. So that would leave me with throwing away the, the Scherzer one. Um, speaking of Max Scherzer, he's been a guy who was hurt earlier this year, but came back and, and made that start the other day. We've got a segment today called Wounded Soldiers. And never leave a wounded soldier, uh, I guess, on the battlefield, but also – this is in reference to drinking. It's if you like don't finish a beer and you leave a half beer on a table and then somebody wakes up in the morning, and they're like, who didn't finish this? Don't do that. But who are the wounded soldiers right now that uh, are injured 
All right, let's start it off. Ketel Marte, hamstring injury, he's day-to-day. Max Breed, Mike Soroka, 60-day DL. Roster Noah, 60-day DL. John Mean, shoulder injury. Chris Sale, 60-day DL, he's throwing. Nico Horner, Michael Kopech, Eloy Jimenez, 60-day DL with pectoral injury. Luis Roberts, 60-day DL, hip injury. Sonny Gray, Mike Mustaka, 60-day DL with a heel injury. Nixon Zell, 60-day DL, knee injury. Aaron Savali, sprained middle finger, out four weeks. Zach Plesak, Shane Bieber, Brando Reyes, Austin Gomber, Spencer Turnbull, Matthew Boyd, Alex Bregman, Justin Verlander, 60-day DL, elbow injury. Adam Hurts, Phil Mondesi, Mike Trout, Corey Seager, Justin May, 60-day DL, Tommy John, Lorenzo Kane, Byron Buxton, Noah Syndergaard, 60-day DL, UCL, J.D. Davis, Brandon Nemo, Luis Severino, 60-day DL, elbow, Corey Kluber, 60-day DL, shoulder, Trevor Rosenthal, 60-day IL, shoulder, Didi Gregorius, Gene Segura, Austin Noah, Drew Pomerantz, Mike Levinger, 60-day IL, Tommy John, Logan Webb, Tommy Lasella, Hammy, Evan Longoria, Kyle Lewis, 60-day IL knee, Jack Larity, Jordan Hicks, 60-day IL elbow, Tyler Glassnow, UCL, Nick Anderson, 60-day IL elbow, Jonathan Hernandez, 60-day IL Tommy John, Jose Leclerc, 60-day IL Tommy John, Kirby 60-day IL, Steven Strasburg. Okay, that was a Wow, that was a long, long list, Eric. And that's not even all of the players on the IL. Those are the most notable players. That is a ridiculous number. And that doesn't include the players that just came back this past week. Yeah, and those are, those are some big names. So I will let you – you might not even want a sip of wine. You might want like a chug of water. Holy cow, that was that. brutal to say. <laughs> well, uh, one thing that won't be as brutal to say, Wander Franco, he debuted – Yesterday, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, uh, and, you know, he was electric right from the get-go. The fans were in the game. They were chanting for Wander Franco. It was electric in there. He hits the line drive, just smoked home run to left field. He also hits a double later in the game. They ended up losing the game. Um, But I guess, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind for me is literally like the day before he got called up, he got traded in our dynasty fantasy baseball league. <laughs> and uh, basically the trade kind of boiled down to Wander Frank Franco being traded for Mookie bets. So outside of fantasy, forget the fantasy aspect of it. If the Rays approach the Dodgers right now and they offer them Wander Franco for Mookie bets, which team do you think box? Well, it's such a funny question because obviously Mookie Betts has been extended for, uh, I mean, it, it was a 13-year deal that he was extended for, and it's a huge top dollar salary. Yeah, Wander Franco more than the Rays payroll, right? Exactly, and that's why it's so ironic that, you know, with this question, it, to think the Rays would ever even try that, it, it's just so funny to me. But Jeff Bezos I mean, just bought the Rays, and he wants high, high dollar players. <laughs> yeah, if Jeff Bezos wants the high player in Mookie Betts, I mean – to be honest, I feel like the Dodgers would accept. Uh, you get a guy for control and uh, for cheap as well, and you may have a, a player that's special moving forward. Yeah, Mookie is obviously a generational talent, and there's no denying that as well. But the fact that you could potentially have that with Wander and not have to pay him, uh, that could allow them to extend Corey Seager. That could allow them to possibly bring back Kershaw, extend Bueller, extend Bellinger. That opens a world of possibilities. And considering the fact that Mookie has not been hitting particularly well, he's shown a little bit of sign of injury this year with his back injury. I personally, I, I just don't think the Rays would, you know, even offer a trade like that. But if they did, and Jeff Bezos uh, owned Rays, wants Mookie bets, I feel like the Dodgers would say yes to that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it just saves you so much money at this point. I think if, if like the salaries, you told me the, the salaries were even, like it was just turned off for some reason, Rob Manfred forgot to check salary caps or like charge, I don't know. Um, then maybe it's, it's more interesting, but I, I think that makes it an overwhelming yes. If that was offered, which is crazy. Cause you're talking about a guy who's played one game versus a guy who's been right. like a perennial MVP candidate. Future hall of famer too. And that's, that's the craziest part about this whole thing. Yeah. Um, do you think Wander can catch your guy, Adelise Garcia, in the uh, AL Rookie of the Year race? 
I definitely do. I mean, there's so much time now. And if yesterday proved anything, it's that Wander belongs here, right here, right now. And so uh, I also don't think that Adelise, you know, I, I like him. I think that he projects well to hit around 30 home runs, but his numbers have dropped off a little bit recently. And so I do believe that there is some sort of euphoria state, right? When there's voters out there that they want the player that's exciting. They want the guy that, you know, came on the scene and really delivered early. And you talk about Wander coming in and hitting a home run, his first MLB hits. And it was a bomb too. It's not like it just barely cleared. He shot that thing. I I believe at least 10 rows back in left field uh, seats. So Wander's an exciting player. I think Adelise has kind of hit a bit of a plateau. Doesn't mean that Adelise is playing poorly just for the rookie of the year. I, I, I think that Wander all of a sudden is going to jump right into that seat. Uh, And especially if Wander hits around 300 and has, you know, 20 home runs and 20 steals, then that should probably make him the rookie of the year. Yeah, I think he can. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of precedent for this. Like I think back to 2010, Buster Posey won and a rookie of the year over Jason Hayward, despite the fact that Jason Hayward was an all-star Jason Hayward gave you 142 games of a 131 OPS plus Buster Posey had a 133 OPS plus. So they were about even with the bat yet. You got 142 games out of Hayward versus 108 out of Posey. So it's like, you kind of say, sometimes you have a little bit of a narrative aspect of it where who's the flashy guy and him being on the raise, that's going to help him. He's going to be on a winning team playing in big time. That's a big factor too. I think is that he could potentially help the raise and he's going to play in important games for them moving down the stretch. And there's maybe a little bit more of a catch-up to do against Adelise, who's already over 60 games right now. But I also think Adelise, the batting average, is going to drop in the second half. I think the power is going to stay. So I do think he can catch him. And if Wander Franco goes out there and he hits 300 within, I guess, like 80 games, he, I don't know, hits 12 home runs, hitting 300 on a team that's number one, it's going to be really hard not to give it to him, even though Adelise Garcia has been absolutely fantastic so far this season, and, and I think he'll kind of keep that going. I'm interested to see down the stretch, too, what Wander's able to do. Uh, you know, oftentimes in these rookie seasons uh, of these hyped-up prospects, you look back on Acuna, uh, I would like to even take a look back at Pete Alonso. okay? Uh, these guys step up, and there's not a lot of film on them, right? And so they're able to excel because of that, uh, since there's just not that much detail or, uh, you know, background knowledge on where their weaknesses are. Generally speaking, the sophomore slumps a real thing because all of a sudden there's footage. Um, You know, you could go back to the season prior and take a look at where were our mistake pitches, where's the hot zones, where are the cold zones. We don't know where Wander Franco steps stands in that, that whole game right there is the fact that it's just kind of the unknown. We know he's a great player. We've read a lot about him, but do we actually have feasible evidence as to what he's going to do delivering wise, uh, where his pitch selection is? We just don't really have footage on that. Right. And so uh, all we can kind of take a look at is what he did in AAA Durham. Um, and even that doesn't really help a whole heck of a lot because you step up to the MLB level and it's a whole other world. So I just believe that Wander Franco's season this year, based off of what I even just saw in a one game stretch, you know, is that he's going to have a special year. And I feel like the Rays, now that they've called him up, they're going to use him every day they possibly can, right? There's not going to be a lot of periodic off days. They're going to use him and they're going to use him a lot. And so I just feel like Wander's going to be able to make up that time because he's going to have so many opportunities. Keep in mind, okay, his first MLB game 
he was hitting in the two hole. That is very rare. Most of the time, these guys are hitting in the eight. Uh, if they're American League nine hole, uh, to be in the two hole this early on, it shows how much confidence Kevin Cash has in him. And I ultimately believe that this is a special talent that has a pretty solid lineup around him too. It's going to be hard watching Garcia, who's not on a very good team or a competitive team, who may end up losing Joey Gallo in the process in that lineup. It's going to be hard to imagine that he will be able to hold on to this AL Rookie of the Year lead. All right, let's get on to our shotgun six-pack and then close things out here on another edition of Booze and Baseball. Number one, now that Wander Franco is up with the Rays, should Tampa be the AL favorites? And uh, just to give you some odds, on Bovada, they're currently fourth. The White Sox are first, Astros second. This one makes zero sense. The Yankees are third, and then the Rays are fourth. Yeah, first of all, just going to that Yankees point, that makes no sense. That shows the inherent bias, I think. Uh, well, I think what it is is, you know, betting odds aren't necessarily an indication of, well, this is what we think is most likely. It's an indication of what we think we can get people to bet on. And, and a lot smart. of people are Yankees fans. There's a right. – obviously a big fan base for it. So I think that's what that's kind of leaning into. Yeah. I don't see the Yankees even remotely close in, in that department. Uh, I would put the Oakland athletics in that category well before them. Um, for me, it's tough because it's a, it's a two way showdown for me between the, the white Sox and the Rays. And personally, I still think the white Sox are across the board, a better team. And the reason why is because the Rays lost arguably their most valuable piece, in my opinion, in Tyler Glass now. And I think that really hurts. We had just gone over the list of names of injuries. Glass now, unfortunately, was a key injury. Uh, and it's going to be somebody that the Rays are going to be missing in a game one playoff, right? And so uh, keep in mind, last year, their World Series run, it was Glass now. And who else? Blake Snell. Blake Snell is no longer in that rotation. So I have an issue because – the White Sox rotation got a heck of a lot better, uh, adding Lance Lynn to that. Carlos Rodon is pitching so well. He's underrated. Uh, you know I love him. Uh, I'm a huge Carlos Rodon guy, and he's showing out accordingly. Um, at the end of the day, Dallas Keuchel in a game three, uh, the man's been there and done that. And while I don't think his stuff is you know, what it used to be, it's still not a guy you necessarily want to face in an elimination game uh, or just in general, a game that you really need a lot of hits. Keiko still knows how to, you know, face bigly pitch, bigly hitting as well as any pitcher in the league. He just doesn't get a lot of swing and miss rate. So uh, to me, I like the White Sox rotation more. Uh, and then keep in mind, the White Sox are doing this without both Eloy Jimenez, as I mentioned, uh, and Luis Robert. And if both of those guys, and it sounds like both of them will, if they can come back by September, that's still the most dangerous lineup, in my opinion, in the American League. And I've, I've been a White Sox, you know, believer through and through, and so i got to stick with that pick. I think the Rays are the number two AL team with Wander Franco in that lineup. What about you? You mentioned the Glasnow and the Snell thing. Also, Charlie Morton was the other guy, and he's not there either. So I have a hard time believing that unless they make, like, a move at the deadline for a good starting pitcher that can kind of anchor the rotation. But it wouldn't surprise me still because – Knowing that organization and how many good bullpen arms they have, who knows? Maybe they could muster their way to, to making something work. Uh, but I would actually go with the Astros or my pick at the moment. I don't know. I'm kind of shaky on that. But in my eyes, yeah, the Astros, White Sox, and Rays are kind of all there. I would throw the Red Sox, at least in the discussion, a little bit too because they've been really good so far. Uh, number two, Byron Buxton makes me feel blank. 
sick to my stomach. <laughs> Derek and I made a trade. Uh, it was a few months ago, and I acquired Byron Buxton. The main piece in the deal that I sent back to him was Austin Martin, the young top prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays. On top of that, Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, I sent you Eugenio Suarez and Charlie Blackman, I believe, in that deal. And while I'm not that upset that I lost those two, I'm very much in pain that I left a very solid prospect that I feel like is going to have a solid future in the game for a guy that doesn't know how to stay healthy. And uh, it just is so painful because this year I've never seen so many injuries on my particular fantasy baseball roster. This is my little vent session right here uh, that I've had Mike Trout, Luis Robert, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Zach Plesak, now Aaron Savali, and don't forget Byron Buxton just continuously going on and off the IL. It is absolutely aggravating as a fantasy baseball manager to have a guy you know is so talented. He comes out after being off the IL, hits a home run, and then gets hit by a pitch, and now he's out for probably a month. What the heck, man? It is the worst. I'm in pain. I'm losing like 14-1 to 1 in my current matchup right now, the time of air. Uh, it is a rough time to be a Byron Buxton owner. Yeah, the same thing happening with Adalberto Mondesi right now. And just, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Stanton thing, you know? We've seen so many years where Giancarlo Stanton has been this, this amazing player, but he can't stay healthy. Uh, he makes me feel sad because of that, because of the fact that he is just so talented, so good, but you almost like pencil him in for if you can get 120 games from Byron Buxton. And That's Steve, a stretch like, even there, which it. is crazy to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three, you Darvish, who uh, became the fastest to 1,500 career strikeouts, should get more love for being one of the best pitchers in the game right now. I don't know what the consensus is uh, for a lot of the experts, if you will, out there. Uh, on starting pitching, but you Darvish is as good as it gets. And people should have known that a while back. I think he gets a bad rap because of what he did in the world series in 2017. And you can make an argument that uh, to a degree, it may not all be his fault, but the way that he's pitching right now is lights out. And uh, he's striking out a ton of hitters in the process too. I believe he had 11 against the Dodgers. It wasn't the Dodgers top lineup doesn't really matter. He's doing his job uh, and he's helping lead the Padres in what looks like a very, playoff-esque direction and, and so to be able to have him as a pretty clear number one ace in that rotation where Blake Snell really has not been that good uh it is a little wild by the way just a little tangent here I have to throw it out there Blake Snell's ERA on the road and home is completely polar opposite so uh, obviously having Darvish being able to do both on the road and at home it's very helpful for the Padres considering they're going to basically be a playoff team uh, I think Darvish is as good as it gets out there and so I'm glad that people are realizing that he is elite because I believe he is yeah he is just absolutely filthy um, his slider is one of the most fun pitches in the MLB and yeah he's he, he almost suffers from Jacob deGrom being so good because it's like, oh, you Darvish, we're not going to discuss you as being an NL Cy Young candidate because the only person we're going to discuss is Jacob deGrom. So, <laughs> and you're uh, not wrong. He's definitely been one of the best pitchers in the MLB over the last couple seasons, and uh, he definitely deserves some shine for that. Number four, what player that you haven't seen at a live baseball game would you pay the most to see? Well, I haven't seen Wander Franco, so obviously that seems like a pretty obvious one, but to, to hop away from – uh, what I feel like the majority of people out there will say, uh, just kind of looking across the league, I really have not had a good shot. I I've had a chance to watch Acuna. I've had a chance to watch a lot of the young talent like Tatis because I was at the MLB playoffs. 
I have not had a chance to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. And so he's such a young stud to be able to see him in person, how huge he is, and to hit, see him hit a bomb in the process would be really cool. I believe he's not doing the home run derby, so that is a shame because the kid could put on a show right there. Uh, you know, Shohei Itani would be great as well, but I, I think that that would be a spectacle to see him pitch and then go out there and hit as well. But seeing Vlad Guerrero Jr., just how big and strong he is, and to see a 400-plus foot bomb off of his bat would be really cool to watch. Uh, you mentioned mine. It would be Shohei Otani, a, a game specifically where he was pitching and hitting, and then you see him hit like a 470-foot home run or something like that. It would just be so much fun to watch. So he would be that number one for me. Um, honestly, I'm always a sucker for seeing a good pitcher. So I'm trying to think of like the best pitchers I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen Max Scherzer. So that would probably go up there as well. But yeah, definitely Shohei Otani for me. Uh, number five. Javier Baez, he was benched earlier this week after making kind of a uh, haphazard play, so to speak. David Ross was not happy. He is currently kind of struggling a little bit. He's doing okay in fantasy because he's still, like, getting you good totals. So if you haven't been fantasy baseball, you may be like, oh, he's, he's not doing that bad. But in terms of, like, real MLB stats, it has been a bit of a struggle this year for Javier Baez. The Cubs are going to have a tough decision to make with his contract. Um, so Javi Baez is a blank player. He's a puzzling player for me because the, the kid knows how to drive in runners. You know, notoriously, he, he's been at the height of the league in RBI totals, right? And at the same time, you know, you love watching him play on the field. He's obviously got a lot of character. Um, you saw the crazy play with the Pirates, obviously, earlier this year that should never have happened. Uh, but if anybody was going to pull it off, it was Javier Baez. But, yeah, you're right. The numbers don't really indicate how, how much of a talent is there. Uh, but he's also not really showing an approach at the plate. I don't know if you've watched much of Javier recently, uh, but he makes a lot of swings and misses in the outside – pitches on the outside of the zone. And to me, I just think that it's a lack of attentiveness and a lack of – preparation to me uh, and it may not necessarily be me saying that he's not preparing game to game but it's more like he's always on the edge of his toes he's always kind of making a move before thinking I, I guess is the best way to put it he's a very energetic player that may act before he thinks is kind of my outside looking infield now let me follow that by saying I'm not in the locker room I don't know the kind of person he is off the field. I don't know what he does when he's not on the field. So I can't tell you what he's doing there. But to me, it's there's so much talent in the world that I feel like it's just puzzling to me why he doesn't produce at a consistent level. Uh, and the fact that he also made those errors and had to be benched, that means that clearly David Ross has not seen this once, but he's seen this multiple times. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, he has a, about a two war, so that's, that's okay. His OPS plus is 99, which is one below average. Uh, he's never been a big walking guy. The most walks he's ever had in a season is 30. And in fact, dating back to 2019, he has a total of 43 walks. This is a 264 on base this year. It's, it's just almost to me a guy who has kind of been built off his athleticism and stuff like that. And now that's falling off maybe a little bit. Maybe his prime was closer to 25, 26, and it's becoming a little bit harder for him. So He's still, you know, a fine player, but uh, I'll just say Javi Baez is an average player. That might be a little controversial. Um, okay, number six, last one. Hot dog or bratwurst at a baseball game? Yeah, I, 
I will have a hot dog at 29 of the 30 ballparks with the <laughs> one being, and you could probably take a swing at this one. I I've never been to Milwaukee, which it's no longer Miller park. I believe it's the American family park or something like that. Do you know what the name of that is? They, they just recently changed that. I'm going to take a look at it, but either way, I would love to have a bratwurst at the Brewers ballpark because to me, and that is American family field crazy that they changed the name always in my heart. It'll be Miller park, even though I've never been there, I would kill to have a bratwurst there. Um, I'm a little disappointed because as a Dodgers fan, the farmer, John has now been a, a sponsor for so many years of my life and it is no longer. And that is pain to me. Uh, so I'm really, really upset about that, but I will still have a hot dog at 29 of the 30 ballparks with a bratwurst being the move for me with a beer uh, whenever I get the chance to go to Milwaukee. What about you? I'm a bratwurst guy, bratwurst through and through. So I'd probably be opposite of you. I would go bratwurst on probably 30 out of 30, although maybe there's a few in there. Like if I actually Chicago, I'd probably go hot dog because I can get like a Chicago dog or something. I'd have to Those are about, so good. Yeah, I'd have to think about a few others. Like maybe if it's a chili cheese dog or something. I'll go with that, but I like hot dogs, but I love bratwurst, so I would go bratwurst there. Have you been to Fenway Park? No, I have not. Okay, so Fenway Park has the Fenway Frank, and so that's the hot dog you got to get out there. I'm also a big clam chatter guy, so I was living my dream because I had a hot dog at a Fenway Frank, if you will, and a thing of clam chatter while watching the Red Sox play in Fenway Park, and it was just such a cool baseball moment for me. The clam chatter probably doesn't fit into the scheme of baseball, but the fact that I was having it at a game, I, I wanted to cry. That was maybe one of the happiest moments I've ever had. But, yeah, I, I get the Bratwurst thing. You give me the recommendations, DJ, as to where I should get a Bratwurst, and I will follow through with that. Get them everywhere because they're delicious. All right, that's going <laughs> to do it for today's edition of Booze and Baseball. Uh, give us a five-star review. Subscribe to us We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Amazon Audible. You can follow our social media at Booze and Baseball. You can reach our email, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. If you have any questions or uh, want to suggest some alcohol to review, thanks to Mixkit for the stock music. Thank you to Man Cave Merch for the coasters. We actually have some new coasters upcoming. Going to be here at some point. We're excited to unveil those. But Very definitely pumped. check them out because they are awesome. You can get baseball cards, football cards, whatever in your coaster. It's cool. It's decorative. It keeps your beer off the nice coffee table. Drink responsibly and have a good one. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Later. Take care, y'all.